Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 110 of the GDPR Weekly Show. We begin this week by repeating the update on Top ID19 that we brought you at the start of last week's episode, just so if anybody missed it and you work in any of the affected industries, then you'll be brought up to date with what you should be doing now with regard to recording customer data and visitor data during the Top ID19 pandemic. We then move on to look at a GDPR phishing scam. We have news of a new data breach at Airbnb. Shopify provides us with an update on an internal security incident. We then move to Staffordshire in the UK, where Stone Refurb, an IT refurbishment specialist, have suffered a data breach which has led to fraudulent credit card purchases by hackers. We then look across the UK at how stools have suffered data breaches with physical documents since the introduction of GDPR. We then have an update from Babylon Health on their data breach, which we brought to you a few episodes ago in the GDPR Weekly Show. And we then have news that UK universities face class action after the Blackboard data breach. In response to requests from our listeners, we have an update on dealing with data subject access requests. And we then cross over to Ireland, where websites are rushing to be cookie compliant by the 6th of October deadline. We then look at a comparison of GDPR penalties across the EU. And we then return to Ireland, where their car and vehicle licensing database has been modified by the Department of Transport to prevent dealers being able to see personal details of previous owners of vehicles that are now being transferred from one owner to another. We then have an in-depth look at the interaction between GDPR and the Second Payment Services Directive, PSD2. And then we look at Brexit, where Dominic Cummings has upset the already rather fragile negotiations going on between the EU and the UK over GDPR adequacy of the UK after the 1st of January 2021. We then return to Ireland again, where the Data Protection Commission has been criticised over its slow progress in its investigation into real-time bidding contextual advertising. We then have news that Kingsley Hayes has joined Keller Lankner to pursue data breach litigation. And finally, we end this week with breaking news of a suspected data breach at gaming provider Activision. So we hope you find this week's articles useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback, please just email feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every piece of feedback that we receive, and wherever possible, we include your suggestions and improvements into the show. Unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to reply to each piece of feedback individually. This is an important coronavirus update. And we begin this week with news that here in the UK, the rules for venues collecting data of those people who are visiting their establishment have changed and have become much stricter. And venues that now don't comply with this requirement can find themselves facing a fine of up to £4,000. These new rules came in from Friday the 18th of September 2020 and designated venues also now have a legal requirement to maintain records of customer contact details and display an official NHS QR code poster in each entrance to their building. The rules on collecting contact information come into effect from Friday the 18th of September and the QR code posters have to be displayed by Thursday the 24th of September. If you do not currently have a NHS QR code poster to display in your venue, then you can obtain one online by going to http colon slash slash o for Oscar, r for Roger, alpha lima, o for Oscar, dot uk, uniform kilo, forward slash, lowercase d, delta, capital O for omega, capital P for for Peter, capital B for Bravo, and then a numeric 5. So that's http colon slash slash orlo.uk forward slash d, and that's all in lowercase, and then capitals opb and then numeric 5. So if you go to that URL, you can put in the information you need to get your NHS barcode poster which you then need to display at each entrance to your premises. So coming back to these rules, from 
Friday the 18th, pubs, bars, cafes and restaurants in England will also now need to take bookings from no more than six people in a group, ensure that people are not meeting in groups of more than six people on their premises, and make sure that there is sufficient space between tables. It is now also mandatory for a wider range of businesses, including hospitality, close contact services and leisure venues, to collect customer, visitor and staff contact details from Friday the 18th of September. This is vital for the NHS Test and Trace Service in England to contact the necessary people if coronavirus outbreaks are identified at your venue. And as we've just said, from Thursday the 24th of September, these businesses will also need to display the official NHS QR code posters to make it easier for people to check in at different premises once the NHS app is rolled out nationally. If individuals choose to check in using the QR code poster, they do not need to log in via any other route. The regulations will be enforced by local authorities who will have the power to issue fines up to £1,000 for venues that are failing to comply or the police as a last resort. Fines will rise up to £4,000 for repeat offenders. Businesses will be expected to make sure their customers are aware of the rules around QR codes by displaying posters and speaking to customers directly. There is also a GDPR implication to this. Because you'll be collecting customer information, you must make sure that this is covered in your privacy policy and that your privacy policy gives details of this being one of the reasons that you're collecting the information. So you may well need to update your privacy policy, and if you need any help with that, please do just drop us an email to helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com, and we'll be delighted to help you. It is very important to bear in mind that customer information that you collect for the purposes of 12ID19 NHS Test and Trace can only be used for that purpose. You must not use those details for marketing purposes for your venue. With cases rising, it is vital that NHS Test and Trace continues to reach as many people as possible to prevent further transmission of the virus. Businesses have a duty to ensure this function is in place and those not complying will face fines, said Health and Social Care Secretary Matt Hancock. Business Secretary Alex Sharma said, Businesses up and down the country have taken great steps to welcome customers back safely, but at this critical moment in the fight against the virus, we need to take those tough measures to reduce the risk of another national lockdown in the future. In order to keep these venues open and protect jobs, it is absolutely vital that businesses comply with these new regulations and make sure their customers are following the rules, he said. When someone enters a venue and scans an an official NHS QR code poster, the venue information will be logged on the user's phone. The device will check if users have been at that location at the relevant time and if the app finds a match, users will get an alert anonymously with advice on what to do based on their level of risk. The Rule 6 regulations apply to hospitality venues, including pubs, bars and restaurants. Services included in these new legal requirements are hospitality, including pubs, bars, restaurants and cafes, tourism and leisure, including gyms, swimming pools, hotels, museums, cinemas, zoos and theme parks, and close contact services, including hairdressers. Facilities provided by local authorities, including town halls and civic centres for events, libraries and children's centres. As we said, it would be an offence for a business to fail to adhere to the Rule of Six, respecting all exceptions to this when taking a booking, allowing entry to a group of more than six people. Once groups are within the premises, businesses also risk offending if they fail to advise groups not to merge in ways that breach the rules, as this is also an offence. Businesses will also need to ensure that there is adequate distance between tables, two metres or one metre plus if people wear masks, and prevent customers from dancing. The following information should be collected by the venue for those people that have not checked in using the QR poster. Customers and visitors will need to provide their name, and if there's more than one person, we draw the name of the lead member of the group and the number of people in the group, which of course can be a maximum of six. They will also need to leave a contact phone number for the lead member of the group of people, at the date of the visit and arrival, and wherever possible, the departure time. If, for example, you're a hairdresser where the customer's interacting with only one member of staff, then the name of the assigned staff member should be recorded alongside the name of the customer. No additional data should be collected for this purpose. And venues will also be required to collect the names of staff who work at the premises and the time that they start and the time that they finish, and a contact phone number for each member of staff and the dates and times the staff have been at work. We obviously all sincerely hope that these measures will be enough and that there won't be a need to put the whole of the UK back into lockdown, but please be assured that if there is any news on COVID-19 and also GDPR implications, then we'll be sure to bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Stay in. Stay safe. And now, the rest of this week's news. 
We begin this week with news of a phishing scam which is affecting companies and organisations right across the UK. People are receiving an email, uh, typically from an email address beginning no reply security services at an anomaly your business domain name. So it looks like it's come from your business but in fact it hasn't. And it's a bogus email because it is just a phishing attempt to get information from you. The email contains words along the lines of in compliance to the General Data Protection Regulation Law, a new data privacy law that went into effect on May 25th, 2018 and on our effort to offer better service in production of your email services. We have built a one-stop shop for security and compliance across all our users' accounts in order to improve your users' security and compliance features, a critical part of your blueprint. But thank you for using our products and services. It then has a red bar saying action required, out-of-date security. How to fix it? Protecting access to your email services is crucial to defending against cyber attacks and guarding against data loss. Click here to improve your user's security and compliance features. This email was sent from an unmonitored mailbox. And then the privacy statement. If you click on where it says click here, it will then take you to a landing page which is actually set up on a fairly basic WordPress site. The link appears to be personalised, so when you go to the page, the HTML form is already populated with your email address. So it looks that it could be genuine. And it's then asking you to enter your password and then change to a new password. And once you do that, it will take you to an error page which says it hasn't worked. The reason it hasn't worked is because it's totally fake. What happens when you submit your user's email address and password is that that then gets transmitted to the fisher who is then potentially able to either use those details themselves to pretend to be you on other sites or to sell those details on to other bad actors for them to use in fake purchases or fake sign-ups for other web services. So the golden rule, as always, is if you're unsure about an email, if it doesn't look just quite right or it takes you to a page that you're not familiar with, check it out with your IT team first before you enter any details. It's always better to be safe than sorry. Airbnb hosts are reporting an increasing number of privacy breaches happening within the Airbnb app. The privacy breach allows the Airbnb host to see a different host's inbox. This highly sensitive information includes people's addresses and codes to their properties. The issue appears to be occurring worldwide and potentially poses a major security issue for Airbnb. Having access to people's sensitive personal information, including their names, addresses, as well as property security codes, is putting host sentencing consumers at a huge amount of risk, and as a result, this could be one of the most problematic data leaks in recent years. It appears to be totally random, but some hosts are reporting having access to a different inbox every time they log in. Airbnb said it will now be necessary to launch a full investigation into the leak to ascertain how and why it occurred and to figure out what they can do to prevent it happening again. We've been unable to verify at this time whether Airbnb have reported the data breach to the ICO, but we will attempt to verify that later this week. And if we have any update from either the ICO or Airbnb, we will of course bring it to you in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. What's up, Mike? I'm fed up. I wish I had a new job. Have you tried Jubal? Jubal Jubal.org. We help people find jobs. Great. I'll try it now. On Tuesday this week, Shopify released a statement reporting an internal security incident that had been carried out by two rogue employees that had affected less than 200 e-commerce stores on the Shopify platform. To give a bit of background, founded in 2006, Shopify provides a checkout for lots of small e-commerce sites right across the internet. It was also used by a number of big-name merchants, including Tesla and Sephora. While the internal data breach compromised the personally identifiable information of about 200 users, it appears Shopify took and is indeed still taking the necessary steps to mitigate damage. Nonetheless, the breach was significant enough for Shopify's stock to drop by just over one and a quarter percent on the New York Stock Exchange. In the statement released by Shopify, they summarised the breach as an effort by two road employees to steal transaction details from Shopify merchants. According to Shopify, the compromised data in this breach consisted of basic contact information such as email, name and address, as well as other details like products and services purchased. Payment card numbers and other sensitive information were not accessed during the breach. Shopify is working closely with the FBI to further investigate the breach and the ex-employees have implemented the scheme. Shopify wished to stress that the breach did not occur as a result of a technological vulnerability. This data breach perhaps goes to show that it's not always a technological reason or indeed an external hacker 
who causes the data breach from your system, it can be an employee. So it's why it's always worth making sure that your employees, A, are security screened and B, have good security training. If we receive any update on this story from Shopify, we will just bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Customers of Stone Refurb, formerly Encore PC, based in Stafford, have been subject to a data breach which has seen them incurring fraudulent transactions on their debit or credit cards. It's understood that customers were targeted between March and May of this year and payments are said to have been made using their bank details. Stone Refurb, which is owned by Stone Group and sells refurbished IT equipment, has apologised to those affected. It's not clear how many victims have been of the data breach at this stage. An email attributed to the company posted by one customer on Trustpilot said that the hack was a result of a compromise that occurred on an asset managed by a third party on which Stone's website was hosted. On Trustpilot, the angry customer said, product arrived okay, but a few weeks later, Encore PC informed me they had allowed my name, address and credit card details to be stolen in a complete security failure. Another said, my personal and financial details got compromised, fraud amount was £2,359. A spokesman for Stone Group said, This website was previously hosted by an external provider. Earlier this year, the external hosting provider experienced a data security incident in which the personal data of some customers making purchases on the website was compromised. The incident has been reported to the Information Commissioner, the ICO, Action Forward and the Police. Stone Group instructed the external hosting provider to take the website down immediately. Following the review, the ICO has said that they are satisfied with Stone Group's response to the incident and that no further action is deemed necessary. Stone Group went on to say that they take the protection of their customer personal data very seriously and they've apologised to those impacted by the breach. They've also provided advice and assistance to help ensure that customers affected by this incident are protected from fraud. Staffordshire Police said they had been notified and they were investigating and they've urged anyone with information to contact them. A spokeswoman said Staffordshire Police have been made aware of potential data breach at Encore PC, however we've not been notified of any customers subjected to the losses. Anyone with any information should message Staffordshire Police on Facebook or Twitter, call 101 or alternatively contact Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 Aspire schools in Buckinghamshire have been left facing legal action after sending student assessment reports to the wrong parents. The data breach actually took place back in July 2019 when two student assessment reports were accidentally posted to the wrong parents because reports were placed in the wrong envelopes. So this is rather like, you know, we've mentioned several times on the GDPR Weekly Show about how easy it is to CC people into an email and expose their email addresses when you shouldn't. Well, this is not email. This is good old-fashioned snail mail. But nonetheless, the wrong data was posted out to the wrong person. It's a data breach. Aspire School said that although the incident was dealt with at the time, the trust subsequently received a legal request for compensation by the mother of one of the students. The trust said that as the legal action is ongoing, they weren't in a position to make any further statement. Aspire Schools are, of course, not the only school or educational facility to have a data breach by any stretch of the imagination. In February last year, a register of pupils at Rainsford Church of England Academy was mislaid at the O2 in London during the Young Voices Singing event. Luckily, the register was found and stored in a safe by O2 staff and then returned to the school by secure post. Judy Ashwell, the school's head teacher, said it had switched to digital registers as a result, as well as reviewing its policy and practice for educational visits. They weren't alone. In another incident, a teacher information pack from the Pioneer Academy containing names of pupils, medical conditions and contact details for all adults on the trip was inadvertently left at the London Transport Museum. And the Estuaries Multi-Academy Trust has banned staff at one of its stores from taking home physical documents after an encrypted laptop and papers were stolen from a staff member's car. In another instance, Mayflower High School was found to be in breach of GDPR legislation after it confirmed to another school that one of its employees was attending a job interview. And in December 2018, the Chelsea Academy reported that permanent exclusion packs with two pupils were sent to the wrong parents. Principal Mariella Ardron said sensitive letters were now double enveloped with an inner envelope bearing the name of the student and urging the recipient not to open it if they not the parent or carer. That's certainly one way of dealing with a data breach and not necessarily one we would recommend. 
Another school affected has been St Christopher's Church of England Primary Multi-Academy Trust, who reported themselves to the ICO after a document containing sensitive personal data of a pupil was circulated in error to all persons involved in a complaint. Joe Wilkie, the Trust Data Protection Officer, said they had since looked at the way this particular process operates and changed elements to avoid future issues. It's perhaps no surprise that so many educational academies and institutions have had uh, data breaches simply because they are one of the biggest places where people congregate, of course. And whether that happens and there's more documents, and most of these data breaches we reported in this article are physical paper documents, then there's always a risk of a data breach taking place. But it perhaps underlines the fact to ensure that your staff have good GDPR training and that they understand that GDPR doesn't stop when you turn off your computer. It affects paper documents too. If you're from the management of a school or college and you think that your staff could benefit from some updated GDPR training, then please do contact us at helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com and one of our specialists will get back in touch with you. At the moment, due to COVID restrictions, all of our training is delivered online. Help! I love this show, but I've got GDPR questions and don't know what to do. It's simple. Just follow the instructions coming up and the guys at GDPR Weekly Show will help within 24 hours. All you need to do is email helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com with the details of your GDPR issue and one of our specialists will get straight back to you. Wicked! Thanks, Mike! If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, then you might remember that back in episode 96, we brought you details of a data breach at, at health software provider Babylon Health. The ICO this week has confirmed that Babylon will face no further action after the data breach. Back in June 2020, Babylon admitted that three patients were able to view recordings of other patients' consultations using their GP at Hand app. A spokesperson for the ICO said this week, when a data incident occurs, we would expect an organisation to consider whether it is appropriate to contact the people affected and to consider whether there are steps that can be taken to protect them from any potential adverse effects. Babylon House reported an incident to us. After looking at the details, we provided Babylon with detailed advice and concluded that no further action was necessary. One patient at the time took to Twitter to say that he was able to access more than 50 video recordings when he'd signed into the Babylon app. A spokesperson from Babylon said at the time, the issue was caused by a new feature allowing users to switch from audio only to video consultations. They said the issue had been resolved within two hours. Of course, we take any security issue, however small, very seriously, and have contacted the patients affected to update, apologise to, and support them where required, they said. Several times in the last 10 episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show, we've brought you updates on the data breach which affected Blackboard, who provide fundraising software to a large number of higher education institutions, not just across the UK, but across the US and other countries too. However, here in the UK, a number of those institutions are now facing a class action brought by students and staff because of personal details about them that were revealed in the Blackboard data breach, and hence they are claiming damages for distress. Just to give a little bit of background, the kind of data that was stolen was named date of birth addresses, phone numbers and email addresses. The class action alleges that the universities did not do enough to protect the individual's data, and for that reason they should face legal action. Universities involved are known to include the University of Surrey, the University of York, South Wales University, Cumbria University, Leeds University, Birmingham University, Newcastle University, Reading University and King's College London. Law firm Simpson Miller says it's beginning investigations and legal proceedings after hundreds of site users expressed concern over the breach. Robert Godfrey, head of professional negligence at Simpson Miller, said the breach was deeply concerning and a clear violation of GDPR and data protection rules. He added that anyone affected by the breach could have a valid claim for damages against their university for the distress caused by the ordeal. We have contacted a number of the universities involved and they've all said that now there is the potential for this legal action and they don't feel they can make any further comment at this stage. We also contacted Blackboard but similarly they declined to comment at this stage. Obviously, this affects a large number of users across a large number of universities in the country, and so we'll keep a close eye on this legal action as it progresses and bring you regular updates on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. 
Since our article last week about a job candidate requesting information about their interview, we've received inquiries from a few of our listeners about what sort of information you should provide in response to such a data subject access request. Well, if we turn to the GDPR itself, then in Article 8.2, it says that everyone has the right to protection of personal data concerning him or her. And then, of course, GDPR also goes on to say that everyone has the right of access to data which has been collected concerning him or her. And they also have the right to have it rectified if any of that data is inaccurate. But, of course, we all know that it can be difficult, time-consuming and expensive to respond effectively to a data subject access request. What's important, really, is that you have an internal procedure that you've drawn up and you follow that procedure. Always keep in mind that the deadline for dealing with a day subject access request is 30 days unless you can provide evidence of why you need longer. And of course one thing to bear in mind is that when you find this data that you want to send to the person who's made the request, you need to make sure there's no data relating to anyone else in those documents or in those emails. And if there is, then of course it's important that you redact their names of those people before you send the information to the person making the request. GDPR doesn't actually say how long you should spend looking for this information, but the general consensus is that you should try and find as much information as you reasonably can. You know, no one's expecting you to dig through every piece of paper and every filing cabinet in your business to see if there's any mention of this person. But likewise, if a, a recent interviewee for a job, then I would hope that you'd know that within your HR system or within your paper documents for HR, you'd know where you could find probably most of the information that you need to find to satisfy that person's data subject access request. I mentioned just now the need to have a proven process for dealing with data subject access requests and the importance of following that process. And it's also important that you document that you followed that process. Now, this might seem a bit onerous, but it's just really a case of keeping a register somewhere that says, OK, we had this data subject access request. We provided this data in response to the request. This is how we did it, because we followed this procedure and date and time and who sent the information off to the data subject. They're not really that, but certainly well worth doing because if there's a later comeback from the data subject on the information you provided, then at least you have a clear documented trail that you can show to anyone who's making an investigation. Here at GDPR Weekly Show, we've assisted hundreds of organisations with data subject access requests, and we have a proven data subject access request policy so if you'd like us to share that policy with you, then please again just get in contact with us by emailing helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Help! I love this show, but I've got GDPR questions and don't know what to do. It's simple. Just follow the instructions coming up and the guys at GDPR Weekly Show will help within 24 hours. All you need to do is email helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com with the details of your GDPR issue and one of our specialists will get straight back to you. Bikeheads! Thanks, Mike! To Ireland now, and with the 6th of October deadline just days away for cookie GDPR compliance, a survey carried out by DMAC Media has revealed that 87% of Irish businesses are still not aware of the looming cut-off date. In April this year, the Irish Data Protection Commission, the DPC, released updated guidance on cookie consent for Irish websites. Irish businesses were given six months to bring their sites in line with these new practices. However, according to Dave McEvoy of Sligo-based web design company DMAP Media, very little information is available for business owners and most Irish businesses are still in the dark. It's important for Irish businesses to realise that from the 6th of October, website owners could face financial penalties under GDPR for non-compliance. Dave McEvoy, founder of DMAP Media, is urging Irish businesses to act now. He said the Irish Data Protection Commission is stepping up enforcement on October the 6th, however this change has largely gone under the radar. Irish businesses need clear information about the updates and they need support and guidance to implement them. DMAP Media surveyed a number of their clients to gauge the awareness of the cookie notifications deadline. The survey revealed a distinct lack of understanding for businesses that will inadvertently find themselves in breach of the new guidelines in just over a week's time. The survey revealed that 72% of companies don't know if their website is compliant and 13% admitted they knew their website was not compliant. 15% said they were fully compliant. However, on investigations, even Mac Media found that just 1% were actually compliant in any meaningful way with the legislation. 
The survey did find that there was good understanding amongst Irish business owners of what a cookie is, with 66% able to define it and what it does, but nonetheless they run aware of this new requirement to have a cookie banner on their website. So with just a week to go, our message to any Irish businesses who aren't compliant with the new cookie law, or aren't sure if they're compliant with the cookie law, is to get a cookie banner put onto their website. A new study has found that since rolling out in May 2018, there have been over 340 fines issued across the EU for GDPR breaches, ranging from large penalties for companies like British Airways and Marriott Hotel Group, down to just €90 for a hospital in Hungary. Outside the UK, the nations with the highest fines were France with €51,100,000, Italy with €39,452,000, Germany with €26,492,925, Austria with €18,070,100, Sweden with €7,085,430, Spain with €3,306,771, Bulgaria with €3,238,850, the Netherlands with €3,490,000, Poland with €1,162,648, and Norway with €985,400. But the highest amount of fines didn't necessarily come in line with the highest amount of individuals or organisations actually being fined for a GDPR violation. The nations where the most fines were Spain with 99, Hungary with 32, Romania with 29, Germany with 28, Bulgaria with 21, the Czech Republic with 13, Belgium with 12, Italy with 11, Norway with 9 and Cyprus with 8. Although the lowest fine was €90 Euros to a hospital in Hungary, the National Authority for Data Protection and Freedom of Information in Hungary has also issued the largest fine in that country being €288,000 issued to an ISP for improper and non-secure storage of customers' personal data. And you may realise we've not mentioned the UK in this. It's because the average penalty within the UK has been €160,000 and so far just seven large fines have been collected totaling just over €640,000. That's because the major penalties to British Airways for £183 million and Marriott International for £99 million are both currently under review due to the COVID-19 situation and the effect it's had on the profits and turnover of travel companies worldwide. So although by far the bulk of the fines have been imposed on organisations, individuals have not been exempt. The highest fines issued to private individuals have been €20,000 to an individual in Spain for unlawful video surveillance of their employees, €11,000 issued to a soccer coach in Austria who was found to be secretly filming female players while they were taking showers, €9,000 issued to another individual in Spain for unlawful video surveillance of their employees, €2,500 issued to a person in Germany who sent emails to several recipients where each could see other recipients' email addresses, with over 130 email addresses in total being visible, and €2,200 issued to a person in Austria for having unlawfully filmed public areas using a private CCTV system. The system filmed parking lots, sidewalks, a garden area of a nearby property, and it also filmed neighbours going in and out of their houses. So just as to show that whilst we always think of GDPR mainly affecting companies and organisations, Individuals do just need to be careful too. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Returning to Ireland now, and the Department of Transport in Ireland has partially removed a loophole which allowed car dealerships access to the naming address of any vehicle owner while saying that any instance where someone previously accessed such information for purposes other than the transfer of ownership could only happen by an illegal act. On August the 25th, the Irish Examiner newspaper reported the existence of the technical loophole which saw dealerships given unrestricted access to the national vehicle and driver file. Some 24 hours later, the system appeared to have been partially altered, with the address of vehicle owners removed from the list of historical transactions on Ireland's online site for the transfer of motor ownership. The name of an owner now also appears to have been removed from historic transactions, however it can be seen at the initiation of a new transaction. The loophole in its previous state may represent a major data breach under GDPR, one which the chairman of Digital Rights Ireland, TJ McIntyre, described at the time as being an absolute utter disaster. 
Graham Doyle, Assistant Commissioner with the DPC, said we are aware that the Department has made a change to the system and addresses are no longer visible. The database is a database of all registered vehicles and their particulars maintained by the Department of Transport. It contains records of 2.5 million registered vehicles and 2.6 million licensed drivers. In 2016, the Irish State introduced an online service for those transferring the ownership of vehicles to expedite the process of updating said details on the database, a legal requirement for any motor sale which, hitherto, solely involved the posting of amended vehicle registration certificates. But it emerged that anyone in possession of a garage code, a password delivered to garages and dealerships for the use of the online system, known as MotorTrans, could access the details of any vehicle with a registration plate. Key to the Department's engagement with the DPC may be statutory regulations signed into Irish law by then Minister for Transport, Pashel Donohoe, in 2015, allowing for the MVDF, which is the database, to be accessed by certain approved bodies such as the Motor Insurers Bureau of Ireland and tolling companies like eFlow. Car manufacturers and distributors can also access the database for the remediation of mechanical faults, however motor dealerships do not appear on the list of approved bodies. It is believed that the Transport Department in the past months sought to engage in contracts which hitherto had not existed with approved bodies in order to regulate their access to the database. What's up, Isabella? I'm fed up. I wish I had a new job. Have you tried Jubal? Jubal Jubal.org. We help people find jobs. Great. I will try it now. Questions continue to arise over how GDPR is going to interact with the Second Payment Services Directive, PSD2. It's fair to say that both PSD2 and GDPR are complex legislation, and the relation between distinct provisions of each law and how they work together is not altogether clear, which has led to uncertainty for payment service providers, including banks. To take an example, when is consent required to access payment data, and what does that consent actually mean? So to this end, the European Data Protection Board, the EDPB, which is the EU body which oversees GDPR right across the EU and currently the UK, has published draft guidelines for consultation on how PSD2 and GDPR should work together. PSD2, which provides a legal and regulatory framework for payment service providers offering payment services in the EU, stipulates that the processing of personal data must be in accordance with GDPR and its principles of data protection, such as data minimisation, transparency, proportionality, storage limitation, and security measures. The draft guidelines focus primarily on the process and personal data by the providers of payment initiation and account information services that access customers' payment accounts. In general terms, they interpret GDPR quite narrowly, consistent with the approach taken in the previous guidance from the EDPB and Article 29 Working Party thereby restricting and making more burdensome the ability of payment service providers to process personal data. There are concerns in the banking sector that the draft guidelines may in certain respects be practically difficult to implement and unduly restrict future innovation. It's also clear that many banks and account service providers are concerned that the draft guidelines place a data protection burden on them as regards to third-party services under PSD2, which should probably fall on those third-party providers. To take an example of this, under the legal grounds under Article 6 of GDPR that permit the processing of personal data, where there's a contract in place with the payment service user, in the EDPB's view, the most appropriate lawful basis would generally be that processing is necessary for the performance of a contract for payment services to which payment service user, the data subject, is a party. The EDPB expressly refers to its earlier 2019 guidelines to make clear this does not cover processing which facilitates the payment service provider's other business purposes, but which is not objectively necessary to perform the contractual service. With Top ID 19 accelerating digitisation on one hand, but the risk of IT outages and cyber attacks growing on the other, the draft guidelines also reiterate the importance of payment service providers pursuing high security standards. It considers that given the amount of data involved, a personal data breach could significantly affect the data subject's daily life and cause some financial loss or other harm. The EDPB warns that service providers will be held to high standards, including over strong customer authentication mechanisms, as well as high security standards for technical equipment. If you're a financial services company or payment service provider and you would like some help with this interaction between GDPR and PSD2, please do get in touch with us to send an email to helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com and we'll get straight back to you. Help! I love this show, but I've got GDPR questions and don't know what to do. It's simple. Just follow the instructions coming up and the guys at GDPR Weekly Show will help within 24 hours. 
All you need to do is email helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com with the details of your GDPR issue and one of our specialists will get straight back to you. Wicked! Thanks, Mike! With the talks between the UK and the EU over Brexit continuing but making slow progress, there is growing concern over whether the EU will accept the UK as a adequate country for the purposes of GDPR come the 1st of January 2021. And this week, Dominic Cummings hasn't exactly helped that situation because Dominic Cummings has championed a radical protect plan to rewrite Britain's data protection laws. And of course, that's made the EU quite nervous over our adequacy for GDPR because it's assumed up to now that it would base that decision on the Data Protection Act 2018, which itself is largely based upon GDPR, and therefore it was out that adequacy would almost be a given. But now, thanks to Mr Cummings, the EU, I think it's fair to say, have got a bit nervous over that situation. The government's newly published national data strategy, promising a transformation long sought by Dominic Cummings, has sparked concern at a sensitive time with the continued flow of data between UK and EU member states in question. The UK government estimates that the EU exports to the UK data-enabled services worth approximately £31 billion, while UK exports of data-enabled services to the EU were worth around £80 billion. And now all these potentially are in limbo, whilst a decision is reached over whether the UK is an adequate country. So amid this uncertainty, on Friday, British officials were due to explain the intentions behind the government's stated pledge in its strategy paper to remove legal barriers, real and perceived, to data use, encourage international sharing and deliver a radical transformation of how the government understands and unlocks the value of its own data. EU officials said the two key issues standing in the way of positive decision were the use of data by UK intelligence services and the potential onward flow to countries such as the US, because of course we've mentioned several times that the SREMS 2 case has effectively nullified the EU-US privacy shield. An EU official said while the UK applies EU data protection rules during the transition period, certain aspects of its system may change in the future to be or be implemented in a manner that differs from the approach of the EU, such as rules on international transfers. These aspects therefore raise questions that need to be answered. The official added that there was particular concern over the future rules governing access to data by UK national security authorities in the light of a recent ruling by the European Court of Justice. This, of course, was referring to the SREMS 2 case which took place in the European Court of Justice in July this year. If you want more information on that, check back on previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show because we covered this ruling in some depth in episode 100. Mr Cummings has some history on this because two years ago when he was championing vast data selection by the Vote Leave campaign during the Brexit referendum, he described GDPR as horrific. One of the many advantages of Brexit is we will soon be able to bin such idiotic laws, Cummings wrote. We will be able to navigate between America's poor protection of privacy and the EU's hostility to technology and entrepreneurs. Those comments have not gone unnoticed, said one EU source. As we covered back in episode 100, without a GDPR literacy decision, then the transfer of data between the EU and the UK will fall back on the standard contractual clauses, which will mean the need for a signed contract between each data controller and each data processor across the EU whenever they're dealing with data either to or from the UK. Back to Ireland now, where on Monday a dossier of evidence detailing how the online ad targeting industry profiles internet users' intimate characteristics without their knowledge or consent was published by the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, piling more pressure on Ireland's Data Protection Commission, the DPC, to accelerate its investigation into the unlawful exploitation of personal data via programmatic advertising real-time bidding, including dominant real-time bidding systems devised by Google and the Internet Advertising Bureau, the IAB. The Irish Council for Civil Liberties says that this action by ad-targeting industries could be the biggest data breach of all time. To give a bit of history, the Irish DPC opened an investigation into Google's online ad exchange in May 2019 following a complaint filed by Dr Johnny Ryan, who was then at Brave but is now a senior fellow at the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. But two years on, that complaint remains unresolved. 
and indeed multiple complaints about real-time bidding have been filed with regulators across the EU, but none have yet been resolved. It's a major black mark against GDPR. In report, Ryan writes, September 2020 marks two years since my formal complaint to the Irish Data Protection Commission about the real-time bidding data breach. This submission demonstrates the consequences of two years' failure to enforce. Among highlights in the dossier are that Doodle's real-time bidding system sends data to 968 companies, that a data broker company which uses real-time bidding to profile people influenced the 2019 Polish parliamentary election by targeting LGBTQ plus people, that a profile built by a data broker with RTB data allows users of Doodle's system to target 1,200 people in Ireland profiled in a substance abuse category, with other health condition profiles offered by the same data broker available via Doodle reported to include diabetes, chronic pain and sleep disorders. That the IAB's RTB system allows users to target 1,300 people in Ireland profiled in an AIDS and HIV category based on a data broker profile built with RTB data, while other categories from the same data broker include incest and abuse support, brain tumour, incontinence and depression. The data broker that gathers RTB data track the movements of people in Italy to see if they observed the Tov ID19 lockdown. The data broker that illicitly profiled Black Lives Matters protesters in the US has also been allowed to gather RTB data about Europeans. And that the industry templates for profiles includes intimate personal characteristics such as infertility, STD and conservative politics. And this is big data because the ICCL estimates that just three ad exchanges, OpenX, Index Exchange and Pubmatic, have made around 113.9 trillion real-time bidding broadcasts in the past year. The report says that Doodle's real-time bidding system now sends people's private data to more companies and from more websites than when the DPC was notified two years ago. A single ad exchange using the IAB RTB system now sends 120 billion RTB broadcasts in a day, an increase of 140% over two years ago when the DPC was notified. In a statement, Doodle said, We enforce strict privacy protocols and standards to protect people's personal information, including industry-leading safeguards on the use of data for real-time bidding. We do not allow advertisers to select ads based on sensitive personal data and we do not share people's sensitive personal data, browsing histories or profiles with advertisers. We perform audits on ad buyers on Google's ad exchange and if we find breaches of our policies we take action. We've not yet had a similar statement from the IAB. Responding to the report, the DPC's Deputy Commissioner Graham Doyle said extensive recent updates and correspondence on this matter, including a meeting, have been provided by the DPC. The investigation has progressed and a full update on the next steps provided to the concerned party. However, in a follow-up to Doyle's remarks, Ryan said he had no idea what the DPC was referring to when it mentioned a full update. And on next steps, he said the red data informed him it would produce a document setting out what it believes the issues are within four weeks of his letter. The DPC also pointed to another related open inquiry into AdTech veteran Quantrust, which also began in May 2019. That inquiry followed a submission by Privacy Rights Advocacy Group, Privacy International. The DPC has said that the Quantrust inquiry is examining the lawful basis claimed for processing internet users' data for ad targeting purposes, as well as considering whether transparency and data retention obligations are being fulfilled. It's not clear whether the regulator is looking at the security of data in that case. While Ireland remains under huge pressure over the slow speed of its GDPR investigations, given its lead regulator for many tech platforms, it's not the only EU regulator accused of sitting on its hands when enforcement is concerned. The UK's data watchdog has similarly faced anger for failing to act over RTB complaints, despite acknowledging systematic breaches. In its case, after months of regulatory inaction, the ICO announced earlier this year that it had paused its investigation into the industry's processing of personal data owing to disruption to businesses as a result of the Top ID19 pandemic. Back in episode 90 of the GDPR Weekly Show, I had the very real pleasure of interviewing Tingsley Hayes from Hayes Connor, and this week I learned that Tingsley has moved on to join Keller Lenkner UK. If you've not heard the interview, it's worth checking back on in episode 90. But to give a bit of background, Tingsley Hayes is a data breach and cybercrime specialist, and he's now joined the town of Lankner UK as head of its data breach team, where he will continue to pursue multi-party data breach claims against global organisations, including Ticketmaster, British Airways and Merit International. Andrew Newton-Smith, 
Managing Director of Telelankna UK, said Kingsley brings a wealth of data breach expertise to the practice with an impressive portfolio of multi-party actions against national and global organisations who have failed to adequately protect consumers' personal data. Telelankna is committed to protecting consumer rights and we are pleased to now offer clients data protection expertise. Kingsley Hayes, Head of Data Breach at Telelankna UK, said I'm delighted to join the team at Telelankna and look forward to continuing to deliver excellent client service with them. We will do that by holding to account those organisations who fail to adequately and robustly protect consumers' confidential information, causing them actual and potential financial losses and psychological injury. Here at GDPR Show, with Tinsley, all the best in his new role. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. And finally this week, just as we go to broadcast, there is some controversy over whether there has been a data breach at gaming company Activision, the firm behind franchises such as Call of Duty. Users believe their accounts have been hacked, but Activision has branded reports of a major data breach that's seen up to half a million of its player accounts hacked and their owners locked out as not accurate. Reports of the hack were traced to a now-suspended Twitter account that claimed the cyber attack was worse than the notorious PS3 attack, which happened in 2011. However, in a statement circulated by Activision's support team on Twitter, the firm said this was not the case. They said, Reports suggesting Activision Call of Duty accounts have been compromised are not accurate. We investigate all privacy concerns. As always, we recommend that players take precautions to protect their Activision accounts as well as any online accounts at all times. You will receive emails when major changes are made to your Call of Duty accounts. If you did not make these changes, please be sure to follow the steps provided. Nonetheless, with login details of multiple Activision accounts allegedly being leaked and many players reporting their accounts have been inaccessible, it's clear that something has happened. Accounts for media and entertainment services are known to be particularly vulnerable and valuable to cyber criminals, especially given the increased reliance on internet services during the COVID-19 pandemic, with credential stuffing attacks frequently affecting users of Amazon Video, Netflix and Disney+, Plus, to name but a few. Some users are now calling for Activision to instigate multi-factor authentication. As Activision are disputing that there has been a data breach, we will obviously keep an eye on this because it's a very active scenario right at this moment and if there has been a data breach we will bring you an update in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. And cut. That's a wrap. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production.